Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. One thing that you just quite simply cannot put a price on is fit. And fit is, I think, a little bit more important when it comes to the college football landscape than it is some other things. But even so, man, just in life. It's important to have the right people in the right place. You can have the right people in the wrong place. doesn't work. You don't get the kind of results that you want to get. So who are the best fits in college football when it comes to the head coaching world? We'll talk about all that right now. We're glad to have you all here, man. This is the hard count. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2023, the last one on the face of this planet. So we're going to make it a great one. Going to talk best fits when it comes to the coaching world in college football in a minute, like I just said, but also going to have Aaron Murray join the show here in just a minute. If that name sounds familiar, it's because you've probably listened to him a fair amount when it comes to what he does on the sports media side of things. Has a phenomenal YouTube show and a podcast under the volume umbrella, which is called Snaps. Check that out. He joins the show and talks all things Georgia Bulldogs. Like I said, if that name sounds familiar, also because he was a quarterback at the University of Georgia, still holds a lot of records in the Southeastern Conference. So we talk Georgia. We talk the SEC, what happened this past season when it comes to Tennessee and Florida and Auburn and all that. And then we also talk about the new SEC because I understand now we're finishing out 2023 and listen, for how we operate on this show, man, it is head down, nose to the grindstone. Like we're, we are enjoying and soaking in every single last moment of this 2023 season. But there is going to come a time where we have to turn the page and move on to the new era of college football. And that new era will have a new SEC. The tectonic plates are shifting. So we talk about that a little bit with Aaron. We get his thoughts on the new schedule. We'll get his thoughts on the, the overall expanded playoff. But all that's to say, we're glad to have you all here, man. Make sure you are subscribed. It's college football. It's only college football every single day of the year here. There's a lot of shows right now. If you'll notice, we're moving into the Christmas season, and we love the Christmas season. And the reason why we tell you we love the Christmas season, well, I'll rephrase that. We love the Christmas season. And on top of that, we're going to do college football content during the Christmas season, okay? So I'm just saying, keep an eye on the shows that maybe start to dial it back. We're going full throttle speed ahead. So we appreciate y'all being dialed in with us. As I mentioned at the top of this show, the best fits in college football. Fit is such a, a, a crucial term when it comes to the college football landscape, especially at the head coaching position. Because how many of y'all don't know? You, you could have the right person in the wrong place, and it wouldn't work. We've seen it many times. We've seen a lot of coaches that have had success throughout the course of their time in college football struggle at a different spot. And it wasn't the coach's fault. It wasn't the, the place's fault. It was just, hey, it wasn't, wasn't a fit. So I want to talk through a couple of coaches that I believe, this is not an all-encompassing list, but a, a, an exhaustive list, rather, a couple of coaches I believe are the best fits for where they're at right now in college football. And one that's going to surprise you, I think Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss is a tremendous fit, man. Like, we hear his name thrown around so much when it comes to other you know, openings across the college football landscape. And like, I understand it because of what he's done at Ole Miss and, and the way he's elevated that operation. But like, to be real, I think he's a great fit at Ole Miss because he beats to his own drum. And guess what? They support him for that. They champion him. They, they don't just back him up. They support him and allow him to do more. A perfect example of this 
what they do via the portal. Lane Kiffin, he does well recruiting. He does even better through the transfer portal. They crush it. Feels like every single year. Had a number one class in 2022. Had a top 10 class uh, in 2023. And then had, or currently at least, have a top 10 class right now in the transfer portal. And uh, I expect that to, you know, kind of stay the same going forward as long as Lane Kiffin's running the show there. So they just extended him. But there was a lot of smoke around him going to Auburn before they hired Hugh Freeze. And that was one spot where I was like, hey, that, to me, Auburn, if you go to Auburn, there's a certain way they like to do things. There's a certain expectation for their head coach there. Not that that's wrong or right or better or worse, but I think for Lane Kiffin, for the way that he rolls, Ole Miss is great for him. And going back to what I said about the portal and how he beats to his own drum, you can't go so heavily to the portal if you don't have the uh, the resources to be able to, to work how they work in the portal if that makes sense. Like, I can't go to the grocery store with an empty wallet. What I'm trying to say here is Ole Miss has the correct backing to support Lane Kiffin with the way that he wants to hit the portal, and they're just fine with him doing that. So Lane Kiffin, I think at Ole Miss, is one of the best fits in college football. Now, Matt Rule, I know it's early at Nebraska. It's very early. They have not had the success they want to have just yet, but I think he is one of the best fits in college football too. You're saying, well, J.D., they haven't made a bowl game. Like, Are you really saying he's one of the best fits? To me, it's about the culture. And like the wins, that they're going to come for Matt Rule and Lincoln. I firmly believe that. But with what Nebraska wants out of their head coach, out of their football program, I think Matt Rule perfectly embodies. Nebraska, one of the most passionate fan bases in America. Matt Rule, one of the most intense individuals that you'll see across the college football landscape. Nebraska, they're one of those places that is, you know, blue collar. They want to see their team block and tackle. Matt Rule joined this very show this past spring and communicated to us the exact same sentiment. He's like, the way that I want to run my football team, the kind of style that we want to play is the kind of style, the kind of toughness that our fan base demands. He's a guy that is all in on Nebraska, and I firmly believe Nebraska is all in on him. It's very easy to say that Kirby Smart's a great fit for Georgia or Nick Saban's a great fit for Alabama. That's absolutely true. But I wanted to kind of maybe zone in a little bit more on some individuals that wouldn't get thrown in that conversation immediately. Again, I think Matt Rule, with the culture fit, with the, the philosophy fit, him in Nebraska, I think, is phenomenal. Now, Josh Heupel at Tennessee is another one that comes to mind when you talk about fits. For Tennessee to compete in the SEC, they had to get a little bit creative. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean if you wanted to beat Bama and Georgia and LSU and all those schools to compete at their level, you had to do something different than what they're doing, right? Like Tennessee, as good as they are up front, they probably aren't going to, at this point in their stage of development, just going to manhandle an Alabama or going to go manhandle a Georgia. And so as they keep climbing in the SEC ranks, what have they done? They've zigged where other schools have zagged. They've said, that's fine. We're not going to try and go just mono and mono in the trenches. We're going to spread you out. We're going to use tempo. We're going to out-scheme you. We're going to out- athlete you on certain matchups and get the matchup that we want and that's how we beat you so the way that he has attacked that side of things I think I think Tennessee has uh, completely embraced that and also I would say this about Josh Heupel I would say the same thing about Tennessee Tennessee is a place that does not flinch and what I mean by that in the world where all the other big brands in the SEC get thrown around Tennessee has never once given me any indication that they feel like they somehow don't belong in that tier one level I'm not telling you they are or aren't at a tier one level in the SEC right now. I think they're well on their way. But when you talk about Josh Heupel and what he is at Tennessee, I've never once seen him lack any confidence, never once seen him speak with any 
timidity in his voice or ever shied away from the things that he wants to accomplish. Like, they're all about their business. It's us and just us. And that locker room is how Josh Heupel operates. I think it's the same way that fan base operates. Crazed, all about their team, all about what's going on internally. Josh Heupel the exact same way. I really like that fit. So I think Josh Heupel, what he's done there in a short amount of time. Fast forward the tape here a year from now. I think we'll be saying some good things about what they've done with the Nico era beginning in Knoxville. I think he's a great fit. Now, this is one more I want to talk about. And he does fall in the vein of a guy that's winning right now. So I do want to make sure that's, you know, kind of the disclaimer because it's easy to just say you're a fit when you win. And that is true. Winning makes you a fit just so we're on the same page there. So that's 100% the case. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, though, man. Texas is a unique place to win. Texas is a unique place to be the head coach. Because how many times had we seen the next hot name show up there and have some momentum and have some juice and then not be able to follow through and sustain? And some of that's absolutely on the head coach. I don't want to excuse them. But I also think that the brand of Texas and the 40 acres and just the, the spotlight that it is, I mean, that is just quite frankly too much for some people. And the path that Steve Sarkeesian took to get to Texas, one, I think made him battle-tested and ready for that job. And then two, you got to have a little bit of star power to be the head coach of Texas. Like, you got to have a little bit of something that's good for everybody, kind of like you too. Like, you look across all of their albums, and you can find something that's good for somebody, right? Like, you can find a little bit more soul if you want to go Joshua Tree. You can find a little bit more rock and roll if you want to go to, you know, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb go to some of their newer stuff and maybe find something for a, a different crowd as well. Like you kind of pick or choose what you need from the U2 catalog and you're going to find something that you like. Same thing for Steve Sarkeesian, man. He's got the flash that you require to be on the 40 acres. He's also got the substance and the culture that is required to be successful at the tier one level in college football. For so long, it was flash, 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 no substance. Steve Sarkeesian, he has the flash, like I just said, but he's also got the substance by nature of what he's done building that thing since their 5-7 and seven season and now propelled all the way through to being a college football playoff team. So Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, I think, is absolutely a tremendous fit. Like I said, a little bit of everything, what it takes to uh, relate to and to win uh, in a place like Texas, in a place like Austin, and with that locker room and with uh, the kind of talent you attract and recruit and manage uh, on the 40 acres there. So Lane Kiffin, that'll miss. Matt Rule, Nebraska, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Again, not an exhaustive list, but I firmly believe some of the best fits in college football when it comes to the head coaching position. So get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram. Let me know who you think are some of the best fits when it comes to the college football landscape. Looking forward to hearing from y'all. All right, like I said, had a phenomenal conversation with our guy, Aaron Murray, again, former Georgia quarterback. So we talked dogs. We talked the SEC this past year. We talked the future of the SEC. Knows a lot about ball, played ball. And now, fortunately for us, talks ball for a living and talks some ball with us. So without further ado, here's Aaron Murray. Joining us now, former Georgia quarterback. You, you have like six jobs. So it's like host with the volume, doing the snaps podcast, uh, analyst for ESPN and Sirius uh, on top of all of that, you're also the president of the Players Lounge. Uh, welcoming in Aaron Murray. Aaron, how we doing, man? Man, doing good. And, and and don't forget the most important job: father of two, just terrific kids uh, at times. As as I was telling you before the show, my three year old missed his uh, his early nap time and uh, just scrambling around the house right now because he's off school. So always an adventure with the two little ones. But uh, man, I always always love jumping on with you. So appreciate you having me. 
Oh, 100%, man. Yeah, that sounds like a true uh, true broken play kind of snare. Kind of ad-libbing, the snap went over your head, find a way to get it done. Uh, here, we haven't talked since this happened. Will Rogers, not going to be in the SEC. Just the emotions when you found out, all right, the records are safe to stay. Just walk me through that uh, that moment when you saw that pop up on the Twitter sphere. And, and I kind of knew a little bit ahead of time. So I had Mississippi State's second to last game of the season. So I'm, I'm on the field and I've you know, I've interviewed Will before. We've we've met multiple times. Like we 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 know each other, and you know, went up to say hi to him, and he kind of whispered in my ear, like your records are safe. And I was like, well, you took one of them already. Like I would have loved to keep all three, but at least you're you're generous enough to give me two of them. So I'm just happy because I don't have to be the grumpy man that you know was going to be tweeting like, you know, this is nonsense that he gets five years to break a four year record, and all these kids get these COVID years and. Put an asterisk by the record. Like I, I, I'll be honest. I probably wouldn't say that. So I'm glad he saved me from making a fool of myself on social media. But man, I, I've loved watching the kid. You know, from, I remember his freshman year when he took over. Uh, it is when the the kid from Stanford was was you know, started off hot versus LSU, then started having some bad games, and he took over and was just so methodic with the offense, so disciplined, taking the checkdowns, getting through his reads. I'm like, this kid's a freshman and he's doing this. And you just saw that throughout his career, man. Not not the most gifted when it comes to arm strength, but decision-making, accuracy, timing, all that was just so impressive to watch. So uh, excited for him. I think he landed in a great spot. I think we both agree Washington and DeBoer is, is a hell of a lady location. And uh, I'll be cheering for him, and I'll sincerely be cheering for him because now I know that he won't be uh, breaking any more of my records. Yeah, to be clear, it would have been five years to break a four-year record, but, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's talk a little about your dogs, man. Carson Beck said he's coming back for another year. I saw that, and immediately I was like, okay, whatever the odds are on Georgia winning the national title next year, that's where I'm probably leaning as we stand right here in December of 2023. How huge is that? He's coming back for another year under Mike Bobo and another year in this system with, it sounds like, a fair amount of this offensive line coming back potentially. Yeah, offensive line back. I mean, we'll see what the, the, the receivers look like. And, you know, we know Kirby's not afraid to hit the portal and bring in guys. He brought in two top receivers last season. So we'll see what he does there when it comes to that. I know they, they like, you know, Oscar Delp and, and Lawson Lucky, who's a talented freshman who, you know, maybe not as fast as Brock, but is kind of in that same mold of what you can do with him weapon-wise. So him year two, I think he's going to be a weapon that, that will be utilized a little bit more. So yeah, you're talking about year two, confidence playing football being the guy and and i'll be honest like it wasn't a quarterback competition last year i think that was the big thing that was discussed across college football across the georgia you know fan base of you know who's going to take over for stetson it's a it's a three-way battle between him and brock and gunner it, it was never really a battle like it was carson's job but i think now knowing truly that it's his job the fan base is behind him the fan base is excited and also too just confidence wise like he now knows I'm a first round quarterback. I know that I can play at the next level. I know that I am a potential top 10 pick, if not first pick in the NFL draft. Like that gives you confidence heading into the offseason to be an even better leader in the locker room. So I expect big things from him. Um, I think he could have been a first round talent this year. I think he could have been a top, you know, 20, 25 pick in the NFL draft. But, you know, as you guys know, it on three, the, the amount of money that he's making off the field, and I've, I've talked to some people about this is kind of equivalent to what he'd be making if he was a late first round, early second round pick. So I think a great decision for him, and uh, he's going to set himself up for, for a really bright future. I mean, that's kind of the way it feels. Because you look at this year's quarterback market, and it's like, all right, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels did his thing. Yeah. Like Maybe you slide into that QB3, QB4 spot. Like, Aaron, I'm looking here next year. Quinn Ewers, maybe. I mean, he could even yeah. leave this year. 
Shooter yeah. Sanders. Like, I'm taking Carson Beck probably as my number one guy as we sit right here in December. It feels like he's probably going to be poised to be that top guy next year if he ends up yeah, having I, a great year. Yeah, I think this year, I think the way Jaden played this season, I think Jaden would have – Jaden's worked his way into a top three. I mean, I mean, hell, depending on the team, Jaden may be the number two quarterback. So I think he would have been more fighting for that number four spot with Michael Penix Jr. And and and, and like, still four, number four quarterback taken in the draft when you look at the NFL – it's still probably a top 15, top 20 quarterbacks. Like you're still in a pretty good range, but you said it best, Shady, like next year when you look at the quarterbacks coming out, like it's still a really good class. It's not like all of a sudden this class is just dropping off. Like Quinn Ewers is, is, could be, you know, the reigning champion, you know, national championship quarterback. Shadur Sanders, we know how talented he is. He's probably poised for a really good year with the rebuild that Colorado is having right now, especially the offensive line, going to an easier conference in the Big 12. You expect him to have a really good season. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, I think, comes back from Michigan. Right? That's another guy that will be in the conversation for first round. So, like, there'll be, and there's probably more guys that we're not even naming, there'll be four or five first round guys next year. But when you talk about all the attributes, 6'4", 225, big arm, athletic enough, good decision maker, takes care of the football, and then now has two years of starting experience, like, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's he'll be a top 10 guy. Dude, and six tattoos. Like, if I'm a GM, yeah. I want the dude with the sick, like, tiger on the forearm. I, I want him throwing the ball in fourth and third. I like, that's my guy. the whole thing. You know? Oh, yeah, the whole shebang. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I mean, I want to get one more question for you on Carson Beck. You played under Mike Bobo. How big a deal is it to have a second year now in the system, getting more comfortable? He was already, like, 72% completion on his passes. He's a chance to even build on that in 2024. How massive is that to be able to have another year in the system? Well, I know people keep saying, well, he's not going to have Brock next year. Well, he didn't have Brock for about, what, four or five games this season, and he played pretty dang good during those four or five games. Like, yeah, well, it hurt not having Brock, and, you know, we'll see about Ladd McConkey if he comes back or not. I believe they just got the kid from from Wake Forest, you know, Ladd McConkey 2.0. We'll see how he plugs in the thing. So I, 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 any, any, this goes, you know, just beyond Mike Bobo's system. Like, this goes to any quarterback. The more times and more reps you get in an offense, uh, and, the, the, the faster things flow. And this isn't just a, a one-year offense for him too. Like this is the same offense that Todd Munkin was running. Like there was a reason why, you know, Kirby went and got Bobo and had Bobo be the analyst. And then Bobo took over so quickly after Munkin decided to go to the Baltimore Ravens. He wanted to keep everything the same. Terminology plays, concepts, that way the, the, the team could just plug and go, plug and go, plug and go. And you saw that comfort with, with Carson. So this is not just year two with the system. This is what going to be year four or five for him playing in this system. Yeah, new play caller, maybe a little bit of a new twist, but definitely the same system for him. So there's a lot of comfort when it comes to going out there and executing a high level for Carson. Uh, and I think for, for Bobo too, I think this year or heading into next year, you're going to see his comfort with Carson. I've now had a year of working with him. What does he do well? How can I maybe tweak the offense that, that best suits number 15? It's going to be fun to watch, man. I'm excited because, like I said, I'm assuming the defense will still be in good shape. Uh, The portal, though, making a couple of, uh, I guess, takes from from Georgia at this point in time. I know the portal's even moving as we're talking, but Jamon Dumas-Johnson jumping in the portal, I think, surprised a lot of Georgia fans. What are your overall feel as it pertains to the portal and Georgia? Because on one hand, I'm like, okay, well, there's a ton of five stars there, and five stars are wanting to play, obviously, and it's already Mm -hmm. on the field at Georgia. On the other hand, you're like, well, it's never good to see guys leaving an organization. Where where do you fall in that whole situation? Well, a lot of the guys that that left, you know, most of them had to climb the depth chart. You you talk about 
Dewis Johnson there. I mean, he was a guy that he kind of saw the writing on the wall, especially like with, with the way CJ was playing at linebacker and some of the young linebackers there that he wasn't going to be the guy. And when you are talented and you are good enough to go out there and play in the SEC, like you don't want to ride the bench. I get it. So like when it comes to like, is this hurting Georgia's top line of, of, of the starters? No. But this is the, the the issue, and Nick Saban's talked about this. Kirby's talked about this. Other top coaches have talked about this. It's not the stars that we're concerned about. It's when we do get to the second guys of, of guys that aren't experienced. And and I'll bring up CJ again. You know, CJ Allen for Georgia, the linebacker number thirty-three, had some great games for Georgia, but was inexperienced. He's a true freshman, and in some big-time games, he made some fresh mistakes. Like, does Kirby now look at this as like, oh my God, this is a great learning moment for him going forward? Yes. But also, if you're you're if you had a linebacker that was maybe a little bit more seasoned, a sophomore, or junior that's been in the system, would he have made the same maybe the same mistakes that CJ made? Probably not. You know, maybe that's a difference in, in in winning the game versus versus Alabama. It's like that's the difference. It's you don't have the 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 experience at that number two or number three spot like you used to, which is going to hurt these top teams. But I think we can all agree like it's making college football better. Like when teams can plug you know, steal a five-star guy that's a backup and put him on their team as a starter, that makes your team better. That makes college football better. So it sucks for Georgia, but, hell, they got plenty of four- and five-star guys coming in that, that I don't think it's going to, you know, keep Kirby up too much at night. Yeah, I think he's probably sleeping just fine as we head into signing day. We're recording this before National Signing Day, but the time of us, you know, recording this, uh, still the number one class in the entire country. Mm-hmm. So I think there's probably uh, a little bit of a reload happening in Athens. Uh, last thought on Georgia here. I want to get your thoughts on Aaron. Big bowl game. Big bowl game. I don't want to speak too specifically because I'm sure opt-outs will happen as soon as we finish recording this. Uh, But Georgia, we were both in Atlanta. We saw that Bulldog team play Alabama and felt like, okay, this might be the national title game going on right now. Like Georgia, Mm -hmm. probably, if we're just being real, a top four team in the country. How much of a statement game is this against Florida State in your mind? Well, I think there's a couple of things that go into this. I mean, all bowl games are kind of like who actually cares to be there, like who actually is motivated to play, who's not, you know, ticked off that they got slighted. Like everyone's talking about this game as being the two teams that are both upset that, that they didn't make make the playoffs. I think Florida State obviously has a better reason to be upset than Georgia does. You know, Georgia had an opportunity when you're in, lose, you know, kind of the, the chips fell where they fell. Florida State 13 and 0. I'm still in the camp of they they deserve to be one of those final four teams. So you, you get the frustration from their side. But, you know, Florida State has a lot more, as of right now, a lot more opt-outs. You know, George obviously has the adrenaline shot into him that, that Carson Beck's back, like we talked about, like that gets a team motivated. I think you will hear a couple more guys the next couple of days that are coming back next season that will get you know, Georgia and Georgia fans even more excited about this game. And then talking with some of the players, there, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the loss to Texas in the Sugar Bowl uh, a few years ago. And most of the guys didn't play in the game but they had teammates that played in the game and they've talked to those teammates. And obviously Kirby has talked to those guys about that game of you don't want to be the team that some other team says we're back because we beat Georgia. And, and I, and I do think Florida state is legitimately back and, and Norvell is doing a great job, but still if they beat Georgia, you know, they're going to say, Oh, we truly are back and we should be the favorites win the ACC because we beat the big bad Georgia Bulldogs. Just like Texas said, when we thought they were back a few years ago, it's like that is kind of running through their veins a little bit as well. So I do think you'll get a motivated Georgia team, you know, flip over the, to, to, to FSU. Like, you just don't know. I mean, they, they, like I said, they got a lot of guys in the portal. Uh, so you're not the portal, but a lot of guys that opted out for the NFL draft. You're on your backup quarterback. Um, I like Mike Norvell. I'm sure he'll find a way to motivate those guys. But I think Georgia's just a better team right now. 
it's gonna be fun to watch. I'm glad that we got those two in a bowl game because obviously mm-hmm. Florida State feels like they should have been in the playoff, and I think a lot of people feel mm-hmm. like Georgia very easily. If you put them in that four, give them a, a two-game playoff. I don't think anybody really wants to see Georgia in that kind yeah. of scenario. Uh, let's take a look at just the SEC and the year that it was, man. Auburn, I think, is fascinating. Like Auburn, yeah. had, you had the loss to New Mexico State. Then you play Alabama down to the last play and honestly play Georgia down to the last drive. What are your overall thoughts on where Hugh Freeze has that thing headed? Well, Ole Miss, too. I mean, it's been a really interesting year for for Auburn. A lot of positives, a lot to build on. Obviously, the the big black eye is is the New Mexico State game. Um, You know, and and, and the last play versus versus Alabama. I mean, what could have been for the Auburn Tigers year year one under Hugh Freeze? And you had an opportunity to, to cover a couple of their games and, you know, kind of the big takeaway that I have, and, I, and I've talked to one of my colleagues, Cole Kublik, about this a bunch because, you know, obviously him being an Auburn guy himself, is 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 everyone moving in the right direction? Today's game, there's a lot of pieces. There's the the head coach piece. There's the the player piece, the assistance piece. There is the, the athletic director. There's the boosters, the NIL piece, the collective piece. There's so many moving parts that, that everyone has to be going in the same direction. And if even parts moving – you know, one wrong, wrong, wrong way or one misstep, the whole thing can kind of crumble. And and talking with Cole about this, he's like, man, this is the first time in quite some time where I truly feel like every single part of the ship is working right, that everyone is is kind of chugging and moving in that direction to getting better, to get, doing, you know, kind of what Hugh Freeze needs to have success as the head football coach at Auburn. So listen, it's a place you can win. You know they've 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 won a national championship in the past couple of decades. They've been to another national championship. Uh, they've produced Heisman Trophy winner and, and first round draft picks. All that like you can win at Auburn, and you had the fan support at Auburn as well. I do believe they have the right guy to continue building in the right direction. They just they need to get a quarterback. I'm like, what what, what are they waiting for? Like go in there and, and not wait for the second go around to go get you know uh, another guy to compete at that that spot. Because it feels like they're that close. Like, the guys they brought in through yeah. the portal, for the most part, like, were pretty solid acquisitions across the board. I know the Peyton Thorne situation didn't work out as well as you would have liked. But but with, with putting it together with sticks and glue from the Brian Harson era, from mm-hmm. the last season and going into this season and making a bowl game, I think it was a really solid step in the right direction. Uh, let's sw- switch over to Florida here, Aaron. Is it that mm-hmm. bad? Like, I think I'm probably more of, like, a, a glass half full kind of guy and I'm usually the last one to get off the branch when you're talking about a coach and if he's the good fit I'm still here sitting like I don't know about Billy Napier but where, where do you stand when it comes to everything going on in see, I, see I like Billy Napier I like him a lot um you know obviously there's some some massive errors during the season that you can kind of point to the coaches of like it was more your fault than, than the players with some of the mistakes that were had but you just feel for him man because this is a this is a a a situation where you do have everything that you need to be successful. You have the money, you have the support. I mean, we will always remember the the, the first picture of the players and the staff for Florida when there looks like there's a one-to-one ratio of coaches to players. Like you have the support staff, uh, you have the brand new facility. Florida just built their brand new facility. You're in the state of Florida. You got the recruits. Like the problem is Florida State's had an incredible 13-0 season. Georgia Bulldogs, you know, or 12 and one back-to-back championship football team. They don't look like they're going anywhere. Miami's building in the right direction. So like, if you don't keep pace with those teams, you're going to start to get more and more fans essentially frustrated with why aren't we taking the same steps that Miami and Florida State is and Georgia's building all that consistency. Like we want that. It's all about comparing to your biggest rivals and those are their biggest rivals, especially Florida State and obviously Georgia. So uh, he's just in a really bad situation right now. 
And then you look at the schedule for next season. I know we've all seen it, but those last five games are just an absolute murder's row. And I don't know what the magic number is for him to keep his job, but I look at that schedule next year and I think like six and six at best, maybe seven, five. But I think brutal, even man. six and six is kind of like a, Hey, Dion, your son went to the NFL, baby. Come on over to Florida. Come on to Gainesville. We'll see what happens. Could you imagine if Dion Sanders is up there doing the Gator Chomp this time next mm. year? We're like, oh my, oh my. How gosh. awesome I mean, that be for college football though to have Dion <laughs> in the SEC? For the SEC, I mean ESPN. If they could handpick one coach to drop into the conference, promise yeah. you would be Coach Prime. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you brought an interesting point of about Florida, like the schedule and, and just being in the SEC, like. If we drop Florida into the Big Ten West this past season, like eight win football team, nine win football team, mm-hmm. maybe you know. I mean, it's just it's so interesting, like you said, comparing to rivals. Uh, Tennessee had this magical year the previous year. Yeah. This year, you know, no Hendon Hooker, no Jalen Hyde, and stumbled. Maybe feels like the wrong word, but maybe stuttered a little bit to Tennessee. Uh, where are you at with them? Because I'm like, you bring in Nico next year, and the yeah. vibes are back high. Well, I mean, this is Nico's opportunity now. I mean, this is the $8 million man. It's time to go make that, that that paycheck. I think there's, this is the really, he set the market. This is the first big experiment of, of paying a high school kid that amount of money and seeing if, if, if it's worth it. So like, I think a lot of eyeballs, including myself, will be on Tennessee of, is it worth it to pay a high school kid or a kid coming out of high school that much money when he's never played in a college football game. So like, this is a crazy experiment. I'm, I'm very fascinated to see if it works or not. He obviously looked good in, in the limited time that he did play this season as the backup quarterback there at Tennessee. But, you know, you know the offense is going to be fine. They return a lot of key pieces at the offensive line. You know, they did lose some guys to, to, on the defense side of the football. A couple guys actually too old miss. Um, but I like Heupel, man. I like what Heupel's doing. I like what they've done. I, I love the the – the way in which that defense did progress from from a year ago to what they were this year, obviously very tenacious, can get after the quarterback. Um, but this is all Nico, this is Nico's opportunity. I mean, he's highly talented quarterback. You're in a you're a very quarterback friendly offense. You've been in it for a year right now. You should know the checks. You should know it. You're going to get all the reps in spring. You're going to get all the reps in, in in fall camp. You should be ready to go. It all hinges on him. Is he ready to take that next step, or is he ready to take his first step, essentially, to being an SEC quarterback? And if he is, I think they're good enough around him. I think Heupel's a good enough coach to, you know, continue progressing. Like, I, do I think Tennessee wins the SEC? No, but are they good enough to win nine, ten games and be possibly a, a, a playoff fringe team? Yeah, I think they're building in that direction. Man, it I think was just the best thing for Nico to be able to have one year to just sit, mm-hmm. learn from a guy like Joe Milton, who's played a lot of college football or at least been on a lot of college football teams throughout the course of his time in college and just learn the system. Have Mackenzie Milton there with him. Like I thought that was just the the best case scenario. Uh, you mentioned something though. Expanded playoff, you know, realignment. We got the the new SEC next year. Just broadly, are are you in for this whole new realignment stuff i'm kind of like a, a college football traditionalist so i kind of went this way kicking yeah. and screaming how, how did you feel about this whole realignment stuff and seeing the new schedule hell give me give me chip kelly's idea i mean i love what chip kelly came out the other day like and i was kind of kicking kicking the the the, the uh, you know stones around with with a buddy of mine talking about you know i've i've been very fascinated with the uh the the uh, european soccer model of, of relegation <laughs> And, and how fun would it be if, if instead of like 64 teams, you had essentially three 40 team leagues and obviously like the champion, the premier league, the champions league and the league before that, 
And, you know, you, you, you kind of played within that league and you played a schedule and, you know, uh, 12 teams made the playoff from each of those, those 40 team leagues. And you can work your way in and out of those leagues, kind of all that. They're like, it, it, I, to me, it'd be fun. Um, it also saved yourself from, from essentially kind of what we're seeing with Vanderbilt right now. Like Vanderbilt in today's game in the SEC, I, it's hard for me to find success for Vanderbilt. Like why should Vanderbilt be playing an SEC schedule? We're seeing it right now. Like their best players get taken from them every single year. You go to Vanderbilt, you get developed for a season, and then you go to Georgia, you go to Alabama, you go to LSU. I mean, like it's going to happen over and over and over again. Like that's not fair to Vanderbilt. It's not fair to some of these smaller schools. Like why are we putting them in a situation to essentially be a, a three-win team? The fans don't want to watch it. They don't show up to the games. Um, and everyone kind of just looks at it as like, hey, we're just going to cherry pick from you every offseason. Like put them in actually a division so they can have success. So the fans actually want to go to games because they know that their team has a more of a legitimate chance to win football. So like, I would love to just blow it all up, make it a little bit more fair, have a little bit more fun. It'd be more competitive games every single weekend because you got teams kind of within their own silos that are meant to be playing each other uh, instead of Georgia's and Alabama's just beating up on like Vanderbilt's and Mississippi State's of the world. So um, so that's, that's the model I'm for. But when it comes to just improvement overall, I'll take next year. I mean, when you look at the schedule, it's hard not to be excited about what the Big Ten's going to look like, about what the SEC's going to look like. As a consumer, we're going to get better games more often every single weekend. No, without question. I mean, I think you're, you're on the money. Like the week in and week out product we'll get on TV, like has me absolutely fired up. Because like I said, at first I was kind of like, man, I really, really love the college football that, that I grew up with, with the BCS. Mm -hmm. And then we had, you know, some realignment. I'm like, okay, that's all right. And then we have the playoff expanding again. I'm not super excited about that. But then you see, okay, we got Georgia going to Texas. And I'm like, all right. Mm -hmm. twist my arm yeah sure i'm in for georgia yeah. at texas or we got georgia bama in september i'm like yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be freaking awesome is that where the program is that where the program is gonna be heading next year i hope so a little, a little awesome I, trip. Finger, fingers crossed we're we're trying to make sure we have all the funds in order to get on the road and get out there but man that, that would be be phenomenal uh we're saving the uh, the hard count piggy bank that's for sure hope so man are you, are you getting on the road to some of those games which games catch your eye from that schedule to start I mean, hell, if ESPN wants to put me on that game, I'll be more than glad to to, to go out there and, and call that one. So, I mean, I, the big one is is um, what is it? Texas, Michigan. I mean, we may see a rematch yeah, of the national shoot, championship yeah. game in week two. Like that's that's probably the top game. I mean, A and M versus Notre Dame is another one that kind of you know jumped off the page to me. That's that's two massive programs playing in, in that first week. That's gonna be a fun one. LSU, USC. I mean, it, it's it's every single week. I mean, the only like really. Because we've had like two, I would say like three down weeks in the SEC this year where you kind of look at the slate like, eh, not great. You look at next year's slate, really it's week two. Like week two is kind of a, like a downer week. The rest of the weeks are great. But then you scroll down to the bottom, and that is the week that Texas plays Michigan. So like, you know what, for a crappy week, you know, weekend of SEC football, I guess we'll just conclude it with a 730 ABC Texas versus Michigan game to kind of cheer us all up. So like even the the down week has one of probably maybe the best game or one of the best games of the college football season next next year. So I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for the fans. Um, I'm just interested to see like 2026 and beyond of what major changes that are going to be had. Because I do think that, and I'm not trying to be a downer on college football. Like I think we're in a good spot. I just think that there's a lot of untapped potential still there to make this game even better going forward in the future.
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're 100% on the money. Like, it's all champagne problems to a degree, but maybe there's yeah. still some some things we can tinker with and kind of settle on it. And once we do settle, and once we have, like, fall Saturdays looking how they're going to look for, you know, the foreseeable future, then I think we can all kind of get a little bit more excited about what that looks like going forward. Uh, Aaron, last question for you, man. Texas and OU, they're joining your conference next year in the SEC. You played in the conference. Uh, by nature of what you saw this past year from Texas and OU, how do you feel about them moving forward? I love Texas. I mean, I think Texas is more than ready. Obviously, I think like, to me, they're they're my favorite to win the national championship. Um, you know, I, I have them winning it this season. So I think with, if Ewers back and, and the way that Sark's been able to recruit and bring in top tier talent, I think they'll be kind of right there with with Georgia, Alabama. You know, you may throw LSU into the equation of, of teams that should be uh, on everyone's list to, to win the SEC and, and, and be right back there in the playoffs come next season. So I think Texas more than more than ready. I think Oklahoma, if they had Dylan Gabriel coming back, I would say that next year they would be more prepared. But that's that's the fine line you have to balance nowadays. If you have a top guy and Arnold behind him, that he may be the best guy for the future. Is he ready for maybe 2024, first year in the SEC? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But come 2025 and beyond, like, yeah, he's probably the right guy. So does Oklahoma maybe take a step back from where they were this year? I would, I would say, yeah, like maybe eight-win team, nine-win team. So I would say a successful first season in the SEC. But I think they're banking on getting him that first year in the SEC, getting him that year of experience. And then our year is more, you know, two years from now of when maybe we kind of start to feel like we truly belong in the SEC. So they're kind of like just a little bit below. They also have the tougher schedule of the two teams. But I think at Texas right now, you throw them in there, you know, SEC next year, they're ready to go. It'll be fun to watch, man. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, we're finishing through like the end of this season, like you mentioned, with the playoff, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that as we get closer to it. But appreciate you making time, man. A lot going on with the holidays and portal season and National Signing Day and all that, brother. So thanks for making time, and uh, we'll do it again here real soon. Appreciate you having me on. Again, awesome stuff by our guy Aaron Murray. Go check out their show, Snaps, the channel on YouTube. Subscribe there. They're pushing past 10K subs. So go in and be in on the action there. Hey, we appreciate you being a part of this. A lot going on with the Christmas season. You're finishing through the end, to the end of the year with work. Uh, some of y'all are traveling. Whatever you're doing, thank you for making us a part of it. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We are going to keep the content coming for you as scheduled, as we have done throughout the entirety of this season. Not just the season, but the entire year. So one, make sure you're subscribed. If you're listening on podcasts, rate, review, all that good stuff. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Pacal. Subscribe right here so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on on this show, The Hard Count. Hey, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. Merry Christmas. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.